Hey, this is Louise Rallis, and you are listening to the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. Hey, are you or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. Sadly, many of our youth are in crisis and we're not sure how to help them, how to support them and how to even get them to a, a professional who can help them out. And I am so pleased to know that some incredible people are out there, like my guest today, Louise Rellis. She is in, just amazing. I can't, I can't say enough about how comforting it is to know, how encouraging it is to know that someone like her is out in the world and supporting our youth. And her focus as a youth support worker, as a traumatologist, is for is focused one-on-one -on -one with these youth and she works in rural central Alberta and she is just there for the kids she literally is there she goes to them wherever they might be and supports them so you're going to hear all about her work in our visit today and I just really encourage you to find a way to support this type of work and we really do need this in, in more areas in our communities. So buckle up. This is an incredible ride. And you are going to really see into the, the life of and the work of uh, what Louise is doing for our youth. And uh, yeah, you're going to love her. Here we go. Hi, Louise. I am really happy to have you here today. I'm so excited to introduce you to my audience because what you do is unique and I think it's needed far more than we realize. And I'm looking forward to learning more about what you do, who you serve and how you're helping families through some really difficult situations. And uh, yeah, please tell us more about yourself. Welcome. Thank you very much, Dean, and thank you for um, having me here today. I really do appreciate it. Um, telling you about myself always sets me into fight flight where I want to run. I don't <laughs> want to talk about myself, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this is very, very... Um, so myself is Honor Rural Youth. I, I started Honor Rural Youth. Um, we're going into our third year at the moment. Um, um, mobile mental health support um, for youth and young adults in rural um, central Alberta, in the rural communities of central Alberta. Um, so youth aged 13 up to young adults about approximately the age of 25. Um, 
Honor Roll Youth was created um, through a increasing frustration I was having in my previous role where I worked at the time um, in the world of trauma. Um, the amount of youth who were struggling with their mental health um, who should be seeing a counsellor or a, a therapist but wouldn't um, sometimes because of generational trauma sometimes they just wouldn't just because it was a counsellor or a therapist or they wouldn't because that office traditional office setting was just not for them um, in my role I repeatedly had these kind of young adults come back to me I respected my position and tried to guide them in direction where the support was for them um, in seeing this need increase um, with my background I left Ireland with a diploma in psychology I have studied um, uh, community and workplace traumatology. Um, I have created another company, Mount Leinster Consulting, to consult more with families and kids uh, um, experiencing trauma, which is just a new initiative now after being in Onham for two years, seeing what I thought was a big enough gap in services be absolutely astronomical, more than what I actually thought it, it could ever be. Um, so Onam's intention is, Onam is Irish, as I am Irish. Um, I should have, um, in case nobody realised by my accent there, I'm <laughs> definitely not from the East Coast. I'm further afield, I am Irish. Um, and I have felt in my soul that I am here to help kids who feel there's nobody here for them. So Onam is actually the Irish word for soul, because uh, I wanted that kind of incorporated in it. Um, so I felt in my soul that I either um, need to do something about it or quit complaining. Um, so I did something about it, formed this nonprofit organization with a board for registered society, insured all of that, um, helping um, kids struggling with their mental health, uh, parent conflict, high conflict divorce, bullying, uttering threats and the inappropriate use of social media, which encompasses a lot, but they were they were the general of what we were seeing. It is spread self-harm, suicidal ideation and that as well. Um, Onam exploded into much more than I envisioned it would be in its first two years of operation. Um, we are um, at the end of two years, I believe off the top of my head, we had 200, no, we were closer to 300 clients. Um, and we are in 29 communities in central Alberta. So our head office is based in Black Falls, but we travel to Rocky Mountain House. Um, I say we, what, me, to Rocky Mountain <laughs> House, Camrose, Otaskawin, uh, Stettler, Forestburg, Coronation, Drumheller. I was actually just in Drumheller this morning. Um, uh, Airdrie, sort of Warburg, um, a large area of central Alberta. We focus on the high-risk, at-risk, vulnerable kids in rural communities. Um, we don't say no to kids that we have uh, referred to us from urban centers. We recognize a referring agency sees the need of, of uh, matching that youth to our services. So we don't say no, we do try to get them connected to those services that are uh, more local to them. But sometimes there's been, whatever reason, it doesn't work out. Um, so Onam is a mobile service. We travel to our clients. I meet them where they're at. I pick them up from home. I can pick them up from school. I can meet them in school. Um, when I meet with my clients, it is formal, um, informal, I should say, and casual. I am not a counsellor or therapist. I make it clear to my clients and to their families and referring agencies that I'm not a counsellor or therapist. I studied child psychology. I worked in early years brain development. I worked in trauma. Um, I have studied traumatology. I've um, upgraded in so many certificates. I, I very much believe in a, a work integrated approach to learning. Um, so I explain to my families that it's a safety net for 
kids who should be seeing a counsellor therapist for whatever reason aren't can't won't and um, that we are that safety net that they have somebody uh, we provide a trauma-informed crisis intervention psychological first aid approach and uh, to su um, support service and what that kind of means is we look at um, supporting the cl our clients through the development of the brain, impacts of trauma and lived experiences, helping them understand the why behind their behaviours, their struggles, their emotions, um, helping them understand if generational traumas, helping them understand that their parents' capacity is maybe not where they need it to be, but that does not mean their parents love them less, kind of really kind of helping them work from the inside out and planting the seeds of character, strength, resilience, and self-regulation. Um, uh, similar to kind of psychotherapy, it's very conversational, um, but we do bring them for something to eat, or I bring food in if I'm meeting them in school, and I incorporate the food because um, with the chewing motion of the jaw helps you self-regulate, helps you decompress, helps you sit calm, helps you self-regulate and have those conversations. It's that age-old breaking bread uh, with neighbours. Um, when food is involved, we are a lot more relaxed and at ease and more comfortable. And it helps these youth with that informal casual. They don't feel like um, it's a, a service that's not for them. They feel like... Oh, this informal casual it's our high risk clients I have to say it, it has been a huge benefit um, we have clients who would not see anybody else and are now seeing us um, and it's never our intention to be the single provider for any family any youth or young adult uh, but at least if they have one at least if they have one we're the safety net we can build up their ability to being comfortable to going to a psychologist or a therapist um, should they need that um, and for some it's just going to them they don't have the transportation to be able to go to services so for us we're very much telling them hey we're fitting into your box we're not asking you to fit into our box what do you need what day do you need it what time do you need it and uh, we're very flexible in that too in that we give them days and times it's available they pick that what work what works for them and literally all they have to do is make sure they're either at home or at school or wherever the pre-planned address that i'm picking them up from is where they are and um, alleviates that stress for parents too who are often coming home from work um just drain themselves from the day and do not want to even fathom having to go back out the door again um with, for any appointments i know for me i'm a mom with i have four kids and sometimes when i get home and i i when i open the door and i hear what i'm walking into i do want to turn around and walk back out um myself but I do know that I very much when I get in my door, I do not want to go back out. And I try to even my own personal appointments with the kids. I try to get that done during the day so we don't have that home and out and home and out because the sports that my kids play in uh, does enough home and out and home and out in, in wrangling the four of them and that. So Anam was very much. Um, took me a year before I opened it, before I got it, um, feet going and um, because it was one of those will it be needed just because I think it's needed does it actually mean it's needed and just because I'm seeing it in the community of Black Falls is where it started from um is it like worse because I was thinking if it's this bad in, in this community it must be worse in more rural communities and um, so I did have that back and forth fear of and at the end of the day I just kind of went Louise this is not about you this is the kids 
and um, this is what I was here for to do is to help these kids um, understand themselves, that psychological first aid lens approach um, helping them realize where their struggles are coming from. Um, and that did grow into um, just this past couple of months, I've um, formed Mount Leinster Consulting, which is a more trauma consulting and traumatology role in the sense that I truly believe through collaborations with like-minded organizations who are in the position um, through their passion and are passionate about building up these youth and young, and young adults in our communities to be um, successful by working together, learning from each other, sharing our knowledge, sharing the struggles, sharing what we are seeing, and that we can really kind of um, set these kids up for a success better and a stronger foundation. Um, so the consulting firm I, I created because Onam's sole intention is one-on-one. -on -one focuses youth one-on-one -on -one, I should say our core principle is trauma-informed our core focus is our youth we are one-on-one -on -one with youth we don't do programming we don't do group sessions it is one-on-one -on -one with these kids it is working um, and it has been successful for them and I do not want to jeopardize that foundation I do not want to change the core of Onam and um, but I also see so much more is needed in these rural communities and um, so Mount Leinster Consulting was to try and pick up those things that I was putting on the side of Onam's desk and um, ensuring that they gather legs and um, can really um, encourage and strengthen rural communities and, and build that um, uh, community awareness. Louise, <laughs> uh, first, and I've said to this to you before, <laughs> I liked your response. A, you're an angel. And B, we need more of you. <laughs> and your response was, tell my husband that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, are you recording this? I'm going to send it to him when we get done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we we do. We need more of you. This, I, I want to unpack this some more because um, there's just, there's so much value in, in what you have already shared mm -hmm. about the need that you've seen and how you're trying to address that need and, and fill that. And I think the first thing that came to mind is something you said near the end here was about the one-on-one -on -one with the youth that is missing in, yeah. in, in their lives, everywhere in their lives, they go to the classroom. They're a part of a, a group. They're in their home. They're probably just one of how many yeah. members in that house, uh, their sports, they're on a team, everything they're involved in their friend groups um they have you know group chats or you know yeah. their their whole snap streams and, and whatever and so where are they an individual where are they seen yeah. and and very attentively seen and heard and feel safe one-on-one -on -one? I think mm -hmm. it's just a it's such a an incredible space that you're creating for them and the fact that you will come to them, you make, you're very accessible to, to the kids that need that. And like you said, even the ones that are in urban areas where they might have a little easier access, you aren't turning them away. You are also trying to facilitate them getting the care that they mm -hmm. need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love that. So it's mobile, rural, and that safety net, you know, that's that space that is just lacking. And as much as the whole pandemic isolated people and, you know, they weren't maybe out 
of their homes, but they, mm-hmm. that isolation it wasn't a safety net necessarily for many kids that, that escalated yeah. the difficulties and, yeah. and the trauma that they were experiencing. And now they also were losing contact socially with who maybe they'd felt comfortable with before, whether it was mm-hmm. a, a boyfriend or close friends, they were not allowed to, to see them. So uh, I'm, is that something that you experienced was uh, that you noticed maybe things escalated during that whole pandemic and the isolation? Um, I think, and even in, in some case, conferencing with some of the schools too and having a similar kind of conversation because I very much believe in learning from each other too um, and um, trying to um, see what I don't see, like um, figure out what I don't know and, and ask the questions too. But I, I think, and, and what I've seen and, and what I've heard um, with the school administrations is COVID really just, took the lid off the boiling pot mm-hmm. um, and I have to agree in that too because on um my what I was seeing the need for on with these kids in our communities I was seeing that before COVID ever hit um, I created on right before COVID did actually hit um, on them uh, opened its doors in April of 2021 but I was registered in January 2021 uh, but I didn't kind of open my doors and start facility because I had I gave notice um to my previous role and that and then I kind of wanted to um decompress uh, from one position and kind of get myself set up before I went into on them so it was April 21 when we kind of opened the doors but January 21 when it was incorporated and that's kind of when um COVID hit um, I believe, or maybe I'm a year behind myself. I don't know. There's a few years there to blend it together, but I do know the. We all lost time, time in that right? space. Yeah, like, like, I know I'm somewhere not in that blur. I think I am either. <laughs> Those two couple <laughs> years don't count. Um, but the intention of Onum was there before COVID. There were issues that I was seeing well before COVID, and it was the high risk kids that really should be going to a counselor therapist but won't um and they were just being left behind they don't see uh, for the majority of them too they don't see that school counselor as well because you're right it's in they're always in that group setting and our body is kind of wired to protect ourselves from vulnerability we don't mm-hmm. like opening ourselves up to being vulnerable and and we as adults don't like it and as we're these kids definitely don't as they're still their brains are not fully developed and that's conversations I have with the kids too and helping them understand the brain is not fully developed between the age of 25 to 32. So as much as they think they know it all as a teenager, they physically can't. They have a great grasp of things because the largest uh, rapid growth of most rapid growth of brain development is the first five years of life. And then the next rapid growth is during adolescence. So this is where we see a lot of the traumas, early childhood traumas and things comes out in behaviors and emotions as an adolescent, because that's when the gray, the brain is sort of rapid growth again and everything is sort of um tornado inside. And, and if we don't, if, if they haven't been shown the right coping mechanisms to deal with some of the traumas or um, grief and experiences they've had, it comes out in negative behaviors as a teenager um, and outward action to an inward hurt and pain. It's it's really what these kids are and um, what they're showing the world they're trying to protect from themselves from the hurt and pain they have inside. So COVID definitely increased um, the lack of opportunity for kids to release some of that vulnerability because at home too, home wasn't always the safest place for all kids. But home, I think, is where a lot of us are at our grumpiest. We're at our worst when we're at home because we all come up. It's like the, the um, um, 
kid tantrums, the baby, the toddler tantrums is what I'm looking for. Toddlers have their tantrums. Kids come home from school and have their tantrums because they've held it so well together outside. They've had it so well together in school that they come home and release the frustrations that they've been pent up all day. Us as adults want to do that too. There's so many times I'm like, I've said it to my own kids. I'm like, I want to have the toddler tantrum. I'm drained myself when I come in the door. And then the kids and each one of them wants to tell you about the day. And each one of them is giving out about the other person. They're telling tales and they're, you know, there's always something. So when you have that all day, every day, and you don't give yourself that ability to decompress, that ability to have conversations, because we all react. Not we all, but a lot of us can relate to situations where we might get more frustrated or aggravated with our kids than we wish we we would have had. But we it's coming back and having the conversations. It's coming back and saying to them, we're all in this house every day, all day. We're all trying to find a space to do the schoolwork to do, the, um, our my work to do, the housework to do, even our own space. So it's um, it definitely created um, issues for families who maybe did not have that um, communication ability and very much kind of when they're home, they shut down and everybody sort of, um, not everybody, but those who do kind of shut down, internalize a lot of their stresses. Um, that vulnerability, that ability to be vulnerable was not there um, because kids were seeing their parents stress too and they didn't want to add to that stress. They were keeping their own kind of struggles inside because they didn't want to make mom or dad more stressed than they already were um, in some situations. And it's one is definitely not a hard and fast rule. Um, it's not one size fits all. It's very unique. And our one on one um, or um, focus of that, too, is each. We have multiple kids with similar lived experiences, similar traumatic experience, such different coping mechanisms to deal with that. So many different emotional uh, reactions uh, because they each have different intimate um, relationships and intimate experiences in how they things make them feel um, so the one-on-one -on -one as well helps us how can I help you how what do you want to share with me now that there's no group setting there's no five or six other people sitting around where you're afraid of saying the wrong thing where you're afraid of you're the only one with this problem so you can't say anything because you're going to be stupid if you say it out loud because nobody else in the world has this problem but you so that one-on-one -on -one piece gives them that opportunity to voice and for some they didn't have that for the longest time um at home too it's when kids are in school and they have their friends around they vent they can get things off their chest and um, but when they've been at home all of the time they don't have that access and then it becomes the social media it becomes that keyboard online and um falling into maybe saying things online that you would not say to somebody in person because you don't have that empathy compassion you don't have that body language tone you're not kind of having that emotional connection or intimate connection as you would face to face so it definitely did aggravate quite a few areas um but the the issues were definitely um coming to boiling point before covid and i think covid in some senses really kind of helped shine a light on the areas um, that were missing supports because rural communities have been missed for years and years and years. It's the urban centers um, that have get the funding, it's the urban centers that get the resources and the rural community members for years have been expected to travel to the urban center. Um, so a lot more with Zoom online and uh, where um, you can have resources in your home. Um, but for a lot of these kids who have mental health, 
that sitting down on a screen was not for them either. Worked for some, did not work for it all. So it's like we say, it's we're there for the ones who feel there's nobody else has been there for them or they haven't been able to find the right fit. And um, we try to be their safety net. Yeah, and for some, I mean, this is all ages, that Zoom or the virtual meeting, for some people that feels less vulnerable. And for others, mm -hmm. they want they want that more intimate, more uh, close personal connection. Mm -hmm. Louise, could you define high risk for us, please? You've mentioned it a couple of times. Um, so high risk is um, for my clients who are high risk is who have had multiple suicidal ideation and attempts um homelessness risk of homelessness or couch surfing um it is really those who will not see another service either and um have been um to the extreme of substance abuse and maybe self-harm um and i shouldn't say to the extreme um but definitely those who have uh, tried to analyze themselves and um feel that there is nobody for them. Um, those who were parentified at a young age and um, um, even um, emancipating themselves from their parents younger than 16. Um, uh, high risk too, I have where it's, um, they've entered into the sex trade where they've been sexually exploited, um, again, at a very young age. Um, and it is those uh, high risk um, clients that we have that, are i think we support all our clients that we that we get in here we have a great feedback from our clients we recognize we're not for everybody and i say that to my clients too i know i'm not for everybody and if i'm not for you please like let me know give me the opportunity to find the right person for you um i use the analogy of a hairdresser if you go to a hairdresser and you really do not like what they did to your hair chances are you don't go back to that hairdresser but you will find a different hairdresser so i use that example to them too um but the high risk is we we seem to be having or I seem to be having great success with with those it's where they are coming back to me um where I'm having other psychologists and counselors connect with me to say that this person will not see anybody else but me um and I think that um speaks volumes to where they're at in their life that they've gotten to that point um and they're exactly who we're here for it's those ones who got to the point of think there's nobody for them um, and very much in some cases um, literally saving some of their lives um, and, and, and literally have there there is definitely one for sure that um, um, I know if I hadn't brought them to emerge um, they probably would not be here today and that same youth will not see anybody else um, so it's it is hard high risk is one of those ones where it's hard to define because um, what can be risk, really high risk behavior for one person, somebody else could deem that, well, that's not too bad because I've done worse in a sense. Um, it's one of those ones where, yes, we can capture the high risk, uh, but there are some people who don't see themselves um, in that high risk category because what they have done to survive has been so much worse than what is usually um, the narrative that's given for high risk. Um, so for us, it's it's that um, 
unaliving um, risk of, of the suicidal ideation, the couch surfing homelessness. Um, we've, we have youth who um, it, too actually have a roof over their head um, being sex trafficked. Um, so it's, it's because um, for some people it's um, been, I suppose, kind of gets a bit too technical in the sense of somebody trying to unalive themselves is definitely high risk, but um, where there is some struggles and some thinking, well, if they choose to go into the sex trade to end up having a bed, well, then they're not high risk because that's their choice, which is a whole other conversation, whole other, well, that's not trauma informed, whole other, um, sometimes it's shocking the conversation I do have with support servicing organizations. Um, so it is a broad term, but definitely um, uh, one of those ones that when we get these high risk kids, we, we, they're our priority. Um, I don't reschedule clients unless absolutely necessary. If I have a personal family appointment come up that's outside of my control, or if I have a uh, crisis call out, if I have a client that's in crisis, um, or we have been asked to um, support in a, a high risk threat assessment in a school. So things like that that's outside of my control, I, I reschedule clients. Um, but otherwise I don't, unless it's a high risk. If I have one of my high risk, flagged high risk that reach out and say, hey, do you have anything over the next couple of days? Um, I make, um, if I can make that day work, I make that day work. If not, it might be the next day, but I have that conversation with them too. I let them know we're not an emergency service. If it's risk of life or um, harm or that, it's 911. Um, I let them know that um, I can't guarantee if they text that I get back to them. I, I'm not on my phone and my clients try not to be on it then too when it's like certain things with my kids or whatever, which I you know I do fail at if you ask them. Mommy's always on her phone. But um, <laughs> sometimes too, I am on it to just scroll and decompress. Like I just kind of need to have that decompression myself and that mindless scrolling. But I make it clear to the clients that like we are here. It was flexible. Um, informal casual if you um, and because our, we are trauma informed is our core focus core principle we recognize these kids have been through a lot in their lives to get to the point of needing to see us um, and you can't schedule adverse behaviors you can't schedule triggers and um, so if they if something happens in between appointments when we're supposed to meet I really encourage them message me shoot me a message I might not be and I tell them I might not be able to see you that day but I'll definitely see you as soon as I can um, which I do I make it clear to them too when we are scheduled if we have appointment scheduled because we do have a, an appointment confirmation policy we ask for um, a minimum of 12 hours prior to the appointment of confirmation received we send a text message the day before confirming um, so I do have that confirmation policy um, that, that comes into place but I, as I say to the kids and to their parents too to make sure that the parents truly understand if we are scheduled today, and this is where I am a hypocrite, if we are scheduled to meet today, we'll say at three o'clock and I text you yesterday and say, hey, just confirm me tomorrow at three o'clock so it works. And you say yes. If today happens and I say to the kids, I said, if shit hits the fan and you are, cannot, like the mere thoughts of hearing my voice is enough to push you over the edge, shoot me a text. Let me know today is not happening. Like I will reschedule when I can. That is never a problem. And um, we will give you the next days and times that we have available. There's no going to the bottom of the list. There's no three strikes and are gone. There's no, there's, there's no ramifications or consequences. We recognize um, that you cannot schedule your triggers, adverse reactions. We do let them know that's not a get out of jail free card. If you're lazy after school or whatever from if you're going to work, that does not count. But we also say, I also say to them too, 
you I'm trusting you to listen to your body. You know yourself best. You know whether you're escalated and the mere thoughts of meeting with me will make matters worse or whether you could be escalated, but maybe I can help you process it. I can help you understand it in the moment because I let them know too. Sometimes too, having me help them in the moment is kind of where we make the, a lot of groundwork as well. Um, so that's been very successful for some clients and um, the feedback, especially our high risk and um, our high risk clients that have said to us that that's that's one of the things they love about other than obviously meeting with me as well. Um, I think which is more my accent they, they love when they meet with me. But um, one of the things they really do appreciate too is they know there's no judgment. They know if they need to cancel that it's totally okay. And we make that clear. Um, I may, I tell them to, I try and I'm not, not on my phone when I'm driving um, to my clients, but I keep an eye if it texts me and I even check my phone when I park outside their, their door to make sure that they haven't cancelled while I have been en route because again they've been through a lot in their lives I am here to help them on their terms I'm not here to make them fit into my box because as I said I explained to them how they're feeling in those moments they'll inadvertently attach that feeling to me and bl partly blame me for how they're feeling um, and which will jeopardize any conversation I tried to have with them or the support I tried to have with them that day and could, could potentially jeopardize the relationship and connection that's been built. So I do strongly make sure that they understand it's OK if you need to reschedule and you've told me we're going to meet. It's OK. We will reschedule. I'm trusting them um, that it is in those heightened states that they do need to reschedule. And I have to say, for the most part, it is um, the high risk clients do not. um, um abuse that system I have to say um, sometimes it's the more vulnerable um, clients who I have to say reschedule more often than not because they, they're saying well I don't need to see Louise now like I, I'm, things have been going good I don't need to see Louise or whatever um, but I in that too I recommend to my clients to keep notes um, that obviously if there's a few weeks or a month in between when we see each other a lot can happen and if I see them this week something happens to them bad next week and I don't see them for another two weeks they can forget that negative and um, so I do recommend to them because they all have phones for the most part put a note in your phone keep adding to those notes in your phone to when we do meet it's like oh yeah this happened this happened this happened um, and when they text me, if they do text me, they can say to, hey, can you make sure that we talk about this? And I have had a few clients who have said that I said, like, can I meet you sooner? I mean, I don't need to meet you straight away, but can I meet you sooner than, say, two weeks? And can you make sure we talk about this? And that's really helpful because when the appointment time comes, they have forgotten. And when I bring it up, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of forgot because when they've had that good week or whatever, they forget why they felt bad before um for some not for all but it's um a general sort of term i'm just blown away by how beautifully you support these youth and and i mean my heart has always been very um soft i guess for that age i just i feel like they're caught in a very difficult transition where they're they're not it's frowned on if they act like kids and they're expected to act like adults but they aren't adults they don't have the life experiences or the coping skills yet or the autonomy to mm -hmm. necessarily and then you throw in all kinds of crap that that happens to them that is very often out of their control and it's traumatizing and it's just absolutely beautiful and I love the the versatility that you offer 
the mutual respect that you're building, the character uh, tools and the the whole, this foundation that you're talking about that will serve them so well for the rest of their lives. It's, it's just incredible. And I, I do want to ask about, there's a few things. Um, I love how they can count on you and that, you know, builds that trust, which maybe they don't have with many people in their lives or have ever experienced that someone values them enough to, to show up, to create the space, to do what they say they're going to do, to make them a priority. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely incredible what that's, what, what that's going to do for them. I just, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm so grateful to know that there's somebody like yourself that's doing this for them. Um, well, there was a word you've mentioned a few times and maybe I just get kind of mesmerized too, just with your accent, it's, <laughs> but maybe it's an accent, but analyze, I believe you mentioned something like that. Um, or there was something that you mentioned a few times that they, that they do. If it comes up again, I'll stop you and ask. Yeah. Sorry. Cause I know there's times I talk too much. I need to listen no, to you, no, no, even at what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is just had so much value already just to understand mm-hmm. um, that there is it, there is a service, there is a way to help these kids and how, how terrifying it must be for them, let alone the people around them that care about mm-hmm. them and feel helpless in how to help them and how to support them. What's the, can you walk us through the process of how people get in touch with you? What is mm-hmm. there, what's the process involved yeah. for help getting help? We try to even make that process for referral agencies as, as seamless as, as possible too, because really, um, so uh, they can phone me. We do have a referral form, um, but it's not necessary to use a referral form. They can phone me, they can email me with details. I do prefer, I do always ask for to give me the family's contact details um, because especially families who are in high risk, they've been given numbers enough times to phone. They've been passed from agency and agency and agency. When they're at that stage, when you give them a number, they're not going to phone. And that's what I was finding in my previous role before I found it on them. I could tell, even I could tell on the phone, there was people who I was, because uh, I, I, rec- I respected the, that referral process that we had to do. Um, and even when I was on the phone with people, I could tell when they were pretending to write down the number. Um, and it really, it, it was just, I, and I, I, it is, it was just over the few years, you kind of develop that sort of, oh yeah, I can sense that you're not writing it down. You just, you get that, tone different tone you can even sense her body language on the phone maybe that's just me but um i just find they've had so many referrals they've been given so many agencies they've been given so many numbers um so for me it is they can phone with the details um a referring agency i've had clients connect themselves i have had clients who have shared their experience with me with some of their family or peers and they've actually recommended it to others and um, I have clients who have been sharing their experience with me with their counselors because I do I have there are some of my clients do see counselors and therapists but but that safety net approach is those um, therapists recognize that these kids need something in between um, and that's um, they've referred um, some of these high-risk clients to me also um, 
So it is, they can send the referral, they can even just send an email with the information, they can phone me with it. I contact the parent. Um, so I capture one parent and the client um, and I contact the parent. I explain the process to the parent and um, to see if they think this that the kid would pick up on this. Um, so under the age of 16, I need parental consent. 16 and older, I don't need parental consent. I can meet directly with the client. They can sign. Um, and then when I talk to the parent, I schedule an introductory meeting with the parent and the child, um, or if it's just the young adult with the young adult. And that introductory meeting is takes 15, 20 minutes. We just go through the summary of Anam, the intention, how I work, what I do, how I and my approach. Um, and then they decide whether they want to meet with me or not. Um, and I make it clear that the youth has to make the decision and um, not the parent thinks that they need to do this or tell them that they need to do this. Um, and for the most part, the, the, the kids themselves do agree that, yes, they need to, the, it is a support for them. Um, and then from that point, it is one on one with the kids. And I, I schedule the next appointment with them. Then each time I meet with them, we schedule the next one. Sometimes they'll text them to make it sooner or they might text to make it later or um, spread it out a bit further. Um, but yeah, it is what do you need? Do you want to see me again in three weeks, two weeks, a month? What do you feel that you're, you know, I very much ask them to kind of judge themselves. I give them a few um, things to be aware of, to think of and their characters and, and the messaging that they tell themselves and, and kind of um, that in, internal monologue that they've um, have going and to pay attention to it. But we try to make it as easy as possible. Um, later, um, very little information too from the referring agency. Um, just kind of why are you referring the, the, the kid? Because I don't want to have any preconceived judgment of what this kid's struggle is. I want to hear from them. So when I meet with these clients, with my um, clients one-on-one, -on -one, I tell them what I know. So, okay, this is what I was told. What's your opinion? What is your opinion of what your struggle is? What do you feel you want to help with? What do you want to talk about? Um, and I let them know too that I expect a preconceived judgment from them of me be based on who has supported them in the past, whether it was good or bad, what their previous experiences were and how I understand their apprehension then potentially of meeting with me. And then it's intimidating. It's intimidating to me with a stranger to kind of like, why am I meeting with this person? What's going on? What's going to happen? What are we going to talk about when we meet? It can be very sort of nerve wracking, intimidating for that, especially the introduction meeting. And then for that first one afterwards, but then they very much, they like, they fall into it quickly. It's, it's sometimes it's, it's humorous to see how apprehensive they are on day one. And then the next day they just like hop into the vehicle and it's like, you know, it's so, um, it's really nice to see at times because I, I, they're obviously comfortable with me um, and it, it breaks down that barrier, which a lot of it is picking them up where they are, bringing them for the food, the informal, casual piece to it that works for them because they're just the ones where that traditional office is not the right fit for them. I love the transparency that is part of creating this space for them. You're addressing right up front this is what I've, what I know, and that you give them an opportunity to, you know, either confirm or, or mm -hmm. clear that up. And you also know that coming into this, they've been probably given the runaround or they've had bad experiences or no experience with, or heard, you know, heard rumors of, yeah. of what this type of uh, help can yeah. be like. And so just to, just to drop that right in, right at the start, bust those myths, you know, have that transparency and give them an opportunity to to just address that. And yeah, and what a great I mean, foot to start on. 
I am very honest with my clients. I, I am direct. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm age appropriate. I, I'm, I'm very age appropriate with the clients and I keep the conversations to what their ability they have. And that's what works so great too with the one-on-one. -on -one. But I also, I'm honest with them. When I meet with the parent and kid first, I kind of always say, they obviously have the emotional history. They have all the issues. They, they have everything that was said, done, promised, swore wouldn't happen again. All of the traumas and experiences they have together. Um, I'm obviously not part of the family, so I'm not emotionally involved. They are. I have that outside perspective. Sometimes I can say, like, sometimes I would seeing things with that different perspective can be frustrating for them. But I also let them know, too, that if you saw me with my kids, you would not want me helping your kid. We are so different when we're not emotionally involved. Yeah. <laughs> because I can promise you, if they came into my house and heard me at times with my four kids, it's like, oh my God, we're, you know, you're not going back to Louise again. Because uh, I don't know, sometimes I blame the Irish in me because I'm loud, but then I think I'm just, I'm loud anyway. Um, I laugh every spring where you see these memes saying, um, okay, neighbors, the windows are going are open to like ignore me, hollering at my yeah. kids are still alive. I'm kind of like, um, they can hear me all winter with the, with the windows <laughs> <laughs> um i blame the timber frame houses too it, it, it you know it travels the sound travels um but i am i am honest with them and they get that they they're really but they like it's not fake um i'm exactly who i am um i'm like professional it is age appropriate um um i'm not exposed exactly who i am as as my personal self but i tell them I, I said i am direct i said i will not bullshit you i am open i am honest if i receive a message from mom that something has happened i will tell you if i receive a message from your counselor or psychologist or a school counselor, whoever it is that has referred i will tell you and i do um and i think they very much respect that um and I let them know, um, I let them know too, also the parents and, and whether it's the school counselor or whatever, if something has went on in the background, just shoot me a text, keep me in the loop because sometimes the kids don't want to talk about the things they know they did wrong. Um, and if they don't bring it up and I don't know about it, then sometimes things are not worked on. But if mom can shoot me a message or dad can shoot me a message or the or whoever had the referring or organization say, hey, this happened or this happened. And then when I bring it up, the kids kind of are a bit more comfortable talking about it because they know um, I only want that summer, that brief summary from the other person. It's their story. I want their story because we are so we internalize how we feel we walk away from situations based on how it made us feel in the moment whether it's right or wrong uh, to other people it's right to us so these kids are walking away from situations feeling how they feel and sometimes the adult in the situation or the parent or the sibling or the friend does not totally understand how the um the kid has felt because our emotions are unique to us. And the one thing for the most part that we can control is how we feel. We think other people treat us, make us feel a certain way, but sometimes it's, it's us feeling that way. They can be aggravating us. They can be kind of gaslighting and nurses kind of different situation, but there's, it's really helping the kids understand you control how you feel. You control the messaging that you tell yourself afterwards and what you're walking away with. And sometimes it's where that conflict really comes in because um, it's where that uh, kind of age old saying, there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, mm -hmm. the truth. Yep, I um, love that and, one. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's sometimes it is, you will have the people who knowingly do falsify what happened but then you have others and they argue about no that wasn't said no this no I didn't do that yes you did no I, where it's 
because in the moment, especially if you're in fight flight, the prefrontal cortex is offline. You can't reason. You can't um, um, totally understand the situation at hand. And sometimes we forget some of those things that we've said when our, our thinking cap has been offline. So it's, yeah, trying to even in those kind of general conversations too. Um, I'm not a counselor therapist, so I don't dig into any particular thing. I don't dig into any particular trauma. I very much try to help them work from the inside out. Why did you feel like that? Do you know why you felt? Where did you feel? And yeah, so it's, um, I feel, <laughs> I feel with each kind of question that you give me that I'm, I'm, I'm starting off answering it. And then I, I feel like I'm going into this other realm and then I'm like, oh my God, what did she ask me again? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I don't care. <laughs> Okay, I, don't, I don't care. Uh, honestly, who cares? That's just what the what the question was. And then what what you answer, you answer, and we learn even more. Just unbelievable, the fully comprehensive packaging, the holistic approach and how you're really acknowledging who they are and helping them to acknowledge what's inside, what those reactions are, how they can deal with them and look at them. They're scary. These are scary mm -hmm. things happening and they don't know why they're feeling this way. And, and, and then they, they become terrified and then it escalates. And I just love everything that you answer. Any question I've asked just builds on that. And I just feel like it's, it's more than we initially or that I initially mm -hmm. understood was involved and it's so beautifully created and delivered I just think that I, I wish there were more of you and I asked you about that so I do want to ask about referring mm -hmm. agencies that you mentioned who is able to yeah. refer this is schools parents family everybody, who, everybody. yeah everybody um, and that's appropriate like that's what yeah. um we have um, so anybody can refer. Our most referrals come from school counsellors. Um, we've had referrals from AHS counsellors, uh, addictions counsellors, school resource officers, uh, step up, step down, uh, PCHAD. Uh, we've had corrections. Um, uh, RCMP Corrections has referred. Um, we have... Uh, Family Resource Network, McMahon, um, FASD Network, um, anyone that organizations that predominantly do kind of have kids that come across their file, that they come across their desk, that they're dealing with their families. And when they realize that there's more going on here or this, the kids might need additional, uh, they kind of do send it our way. Um, or if they see um, that just what they're doing is helpful, but feel that the kid does need something else as well, um, they kind of send it our way. But um, yeah, for the most part, um, it's, it is those support servicing, um, social support servicing organization, organizations that do refer. Um, but as I said, Sometimes our clients um, have um, referred, um, I think one of, I had a client, uh, they were 14 and they had an uncle who was 19 and this uncle would not see anybody um, at all. Um, but in apparently what this 14 year old was saying to their uncle about me, the uncle went to the corrections officer and said, if you, if I have to see somebody, I want to see Louise. And then they had to go get the contact details from the family to give to the corrections officer mm -hmm. to give to me. And I'd never met them before. And it was just from what that 
client was sharing with their uncle um where and he like the, he did um um it it was successful for him and he very much appreciated the the um approach um because as he did say that um I explain things in a way that he can understand. Um, he doesn't feel judged. He doesn't feel, um, um, I can't even remember exactly how he put it anyway, but um, I do remember I was trying to kind of keep my head turned away because I was getting a bit teary-eyed mm. um, because <laughs> it meant a lot because that's exactly why I'm here. It's these um, who have been through so much um, that unfortunately has had negative experience in the past themselves or it's generational negative experiences and do not feel that the support services are there to support them um, and it is just having that um, opportunity there so it's word of mouth pretty much as, as, as well these referring agencies I have not advertised on them services um, probably since the first six months of operation if even I even even if I did for six months um, I'm getting a steady stream of repeat referrals uh, from repeat organizations um, even the last couple of days yesterday was Tuesday yesterday and Friday I got calls from two other new organizations that had heard um, about Onum through the other referral organization so like word of mouth is getting out there um, so yeah also uh, it's it's trying to get the opportunity then to find more Louises to yes. get out there. <laughs> that I was wondering about that. So I have some more questions related to the referral and, and that process. So you did a kind of address other family members because there could be siblings and, and you will, you work with multiple members of a family if, if they do want that. If they're comfortable. Yeah, I do have a, a few families where there's two siblings um, that I see and what I do for the siblings is I see them on completely different days mm -hmm. um, and so that they kind of feel that level because our services um, are confidential which I don't actually think I said is a confidential service um, unless our clients threaten to harm themselves or somebody else we do have to report that but otherwise what we talk about says with us um, they need to give me permission if I feel hey can I talk to mom about this can I talk to school about that they give me the permission um, and then I let the same if mom is connected with me or school is connected I tell them hey this is what I received do you want to talk about it so it's very much letting them know this confidential and to help with that sibling if it is a sibling or in that other family's case it was where it was a nephew and uncle it is separate days so there's no fear of oh my god is she going to tell them what I just said or, or any of that but if they're comfortable with it um, uh, that's what we do and, and for the most part um, I have yet to have a family who is not comfortable with that. Once I say like we do, we have others and we do them on separate days, sometimes even a different week. Um, like it's not to say that it's the same week and, and they've been they've been OK with that. I think it's probably I mean, you could speak to this when there is something that does need to be discussed. It's easier knowing that they've got Louise to help them facilitate that conversation and also to deal with their reactions or help their family understand mm -hmm. help you you know help them communicate what it is that they're experiencing yeah. so i think yeah, that's really great yeah sometimes it was helping them understand their parents capacity and and sometimes it's helping the parent understand that their kids brain development is not where yours is at as an adult mm -hmm. it's lower and sometimes it's kind of helping them to 
um, realize their expectations are too high or in, in that communication piece, what they're expecting behavioral too of the kids and, and understanding too that as a teenager and our younger clients they're they're pretty much wired for self um, preservation and friends are the most important thing and um, they come out of that pretty much and it's not to say it's for everybody um that everybody is worried that way but a lot of them is a self-sabotage uh, or sorry self-preservation um and very much in the moments of when they do get into trouble with the parents it's like oh my god i wasn't supposed to do this so i need to lie i need to save myself because i want to get in a ton of shit and then that's how things escalate in the moment because they're not thinking of the six months ago while the parents are so sometimes it's helping the clients understand that their parents are not as not the worst as what they think they are and helping them understand why in their mind the parent might have overreacted but helping them understand why that reaction was there why that kind of um we have had a couple of clients very few have asked us to have conversations with the parents and have asked us to come together to have those conversations um we we give them the option um if they want us to but for the most part it's helping them build their capacity to be able to have those conversations themselves um but um, and for the the referring for the families to families is where I was going back to. Um, it's I suppose it's, it's a huge testament to that. Obviously, they're they're feeling um, uh, progress in in our services for them to um, the messaging that they're going back and comfortable, obviously, in talking about to their families where it is. It's it depends on on the struggles too and where some know they keep it very much as like they're not going to talk to their family about what we talk about and then there's others who do um and they do ask for the help to hey i need to talk to mom about this how can i or like i need to talk to dad about this and it's it's helping them um in those regards too and um yeah the families um obviously it's it's up to them if they want to refer it's as i said it's confidential nobody knows if these are my clients either unless they tell people that they're my clients um, and i recognize um, maybe there are some families who who might be um too not confident enough to share with others that they are seeing um that their kid is seeing me or something because there's a lot of um sort of this generational trauma it's 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 in the parents too in the struggle to get support mm -hmm. as well so sometimes it is breaking down the barrier of the kids while also breaking down the barrier of of the parents too and i have to say when i say to the parents i can always kind of see the barrier the wall go down when i say to the parents it's like if you saw me with my kids you would not want me helping your kids you know it's they kind of they get it because like i'm not here to paint anybody in a bad picture i'm not here to paint lay blame i'm here to help you understand you and understand those around you from their perspective and not from your opinion of what they should be um as to the best of my ability i only hear the stories from my clients with me and what they may know of their parents or what they're willing to share but at the same time i'm not here for them i'm here to get an idea so i can help the clients understand the capacity that their parents have and, and help them understand then how sometimes the approach to communication or the approach to conflict and things like that um, but families for the most part um, they very much do understand that I am honest I, it is confidential there is nothing relayed unless you give me the permission to I do have the consent form where if I need to talk to a professional like a colleague or somebody to say hey I have this, I'm seeing this in the family. What do you think? Can you give me help or whatever? But I don't give identifying features or factors. Mm -hmm. um, and I do have clients in 29 communities in Central Alberta. So nobody knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. 
I love that not only are you giving them a foundation for, you know, self-regulating, understanding their reactions, that type of thing, but the communication skills that they're building and the capacity for compassion towards how others are receiving what they're saying or the way they communicate may be in a different way or mm -hmm. from a different place than they are. So it's just setting an incredible foundation for life. And mm -hmm. I think that's so beneficial. So I do have some more questions. I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> um, funding, that's going to be something that people are going to want to understand. Oh, funding. Yes. Um, that is my, what I'm going to be tackling this summer. Um, we are a nonprofit organization. Uh, so we are grant funded donations, sponsorships, whatever we can take. Um, it is hard. Um, we, with being in, we're not new anymore. We have the statistics now. We were new. And when we were new, um, we didn't have that strength behind us in applying for funds. Um, we were seeing that because we didn't have the statistics to show the need, it was going against us in grant applications. Um, it was going against us too and some other organizations thinking we're a duplicate of services, uh, especially as a new organization. There was some that was kind of territorial. Um, and I think now that we've been here for two full years that we can show, no, we're not, we're not here to repeat what you're doing. We're here to go to these kids who are not seeing anybody else. Like we're not taking kids from anybody. Um, so funding has been hard because as well because we are one-on-one. -on -one. We do not do group programming. And a lot of the funding applications are looking for either our group programming or new initiatives. And Onam's core is one-on-one -on -one with kids. I am coming to you. Where can I pick you up? Um, whether it's a home, whether it's a school, whether it's aunt's house in another town, whether it's a friend's house in another town, as long as it's pre-booked of where the address is, when we book the meeting uh, because the day before when I confirm I'm confirming for the address we had when we booked because and I make that clear and meet with my clients too because we're a mobile service I have to block off the travel time to get to them and the time with them for the most part we average about an hour because more than that is too much for kids it's good it, it's and of that it's not an hour talking about all difficult things but um, I have to block off the travel time as well as the meeting time. So there and back. So when I'm confirming, it is confirming with the address that was made at the time of the appointment. So depending if they change that's further away, well, then I can't because I'm usually going from A to B to C um, in um, trying to schedule clients close to each other. Um, so they could live in our head office technically is Black Falls. They could live in Black Falls, but they might be with a friend in Sylvan Lake. For, um, and when they want to meet. So once it's pre-booked, I can pick them up there. We can grab a drive-through and we can have a conversation in the vehicle as we're coming back and I can drop them home. Um, and sometimes too, in the grant applications, it's hard to, or for any funding application, it's hard to articulate that mm -hmm. in a grant um, for those not meaning to be rude uh, or anything, but for those who are in an office at their desk with a checklist uh, going through these grants, it is hard to articulate the humanistic approach of they don't, they shouldn't have to be at home for me to pick them up to meet. If they're at a friend's today and they're home the next six times I pick up, why should it be an issue of not picking them? Like it is 
um, again, it's fitting into their box. It is meeting them where they are at physically and psychologically on the day. Um, so it is hard at times or maybe it's it's my ability is lacking and, and that's what I need to find too is funds to find a fund developer or somebody who can do that aspect for me because I, I realize too I'm in it I've been in it for over two years now my brain is working this way my brain is seeing exactly what we do but I'm trying to relay that and I'm, I'm maybe not doing the very best job that I possibly could for other people to pick it up when they're reading it off a piece of paper if I could sit down and verbally apply for funding um that's me i'm i am more of a conversationist i'm all about like yes collaboration sit down talk to each other this is where we can truly make the best steps forward for these kids but just when you're trying to articulate it on paper for somebody to interpret it how you're hoping they interpret it as they're checking their checklists of that grant application and um, priority areas um it is hard we have been funded through smaller um, donations, service credit union. Um, we have a, a reimbursement grant through the Rural Development Network, and they reimburse us for our homeless risk of homeless couch surfing kids. And we have been funded by the Community Initiatives Programme through the Department of Culture and Women, and Status of Women. And um, unfortunately, the other grants that we have applied for even our last grant a couple of weeks ago, United Way, we got a no. Um, earlier ones this year, we're getting no's. Um, and it is hard. Um, it is super hard um, because, yeah, it's hard for the funders too because they're getting so many applications. Mm -hmm. Like they are getting so many applications. I totally understand the checklist that they have to check and, and the procedures too, what I really, really do. But it's just, it is very hard when the grants are programs are new initiatives. I really feel that why are we why are we putting money into creating a new initiative when that new initiative is just being created to match the funds, finding ways, okay, we can get this money if we create mm -hmm. this new initiative. What new initiative should we create so that we can get this money? Why can't we build on the strengths we already have? The strengths that we have, what's been working, what we can prove is working. Can we not build those up more? Um, so, and that's, I suppose, <laughs> My personal opinion because um, <laughs> obviously I'm getting the nose so I'm kind of frustrated with it but it is I think and even actually I asked uh, there was a trauma conference I was at late, at late, at lately too and I asked um, even Sheldon Kennedy and uh, his response was like yes this is what I've been saying too it's the funding how the funding um, is um, dispersed is not meeting um, the needs of, of what it should be dispersed, I suppose. So it's how do you change um, a structure, a societal structure that has been there for whatever number of years and, and has created their procedures and has created their um, checklists and, and, and their um, areas. So it's it's hard. It is very hard because as a nonprofit organization, we're very limited to what we can apply for too, especially because we don't do grant programming or group programming I should say we are limited to what we can apply to um so yeah this summer especially July I have actually booked myself for in office as much as possible I, I am seeing my high-risk kids and at risk and some of the kind of newer ones um I will see um but I am with a goal I have oh I, I have a list of where I need to try and, and find the funding where I need to try and um, advocate and um, networking and 
um, things I've really dropped the ball on because uh, I very much when went on and took off and, and the referrals were coming in and these kids were and I knew I was like, yes, I wasn't um, imagining that this was going to work. This is actually working. The feedback I was getting, I really I am. The kids are why I'm here. I want to meet with the kids. The paperwork is where I lack. I seriously lack. And my ADHD brain doesn't help either because I'm a master procrastinator, <laughs> uh, which probably doesn't help with the applications either. But I do put a lot of work into the grant applications. That last United Way one, I was like up to one o'clock in the morning, back up at five o'clock in the morning. Like I really, really put um, so much into that. But um, I'm, I want to hire, be able to hire somebody part time till we get bigger who can do the administrative end of things better than I ever could because my strengths are meeting with the kids and um, my strengths are not in paperwork and um, so um, I'm fully aware of it and I recognize I dropped the ball in where I didn't put the attention to that earlier on and um, I just wasn't expecting Autumn to be as busy as it was I was thinking oh you know this would be a gradual process and I can work on these things on the side and get this built up and going too but it, no it was like these kids um came hard and fast and that's exactly what I was here for and um for the first year of Onam's operation I I didn't get paid I was I was paying well my husband was paying um because I knew the need was there but I also knew I needed to get the stats to prove it um so I knew I was going to have to put the work in without being reimbursed and uh, we were lucky enough to get some funding so I got my expenses reimbursed and um, because we it's free for kids the families it doesn't cost a thing for families for um, me to meet with them same for food we purchase the food it doesn't cost them anything so for that first year I was paying for it out of pocket I was paying for the expenses we were lucky enough to get funding and donations and sponsorship then that I did get reimbursed expenses but I didn't charge for my time um for the first oh a lot of the first year not all of the first year because then we, we did get funding um sip funding has um paid for my time since um in meeting with the kids and for transportation and that um and i think i foresee because we are coming up to with it being busier um because the sip grant that we did get it was a projection it was a three-year grant and it was a pre three year a three-year projection that i had to give on our first year of operating, we were like six months in, if that. So I obviously didn't give an accurate projection because we're busier than I thought it would be. So like we are on, like we are, like the money is an issue now and how low it is getting because I've just been so busy. Um, so the focus will be for January to try and find avenues of getting funding, preferably um, 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 advocating even to the government to try and get consistent funding, to try and be mm -hmm. government funded. Um, because I do recognize too, um, I needed a statistic to prove it. And I couldn't expect funding from organizations for a new organization who had a wish and a dream. And, and, and I believed that I knew I was what I was talking about, but to for to, for fiscal responsibility for any organization they need to know if where they're giving the money to is going to be spent um um in in the manner that's needed so um respectfully understanding that but now that i have strong statistics of two years of operation i i need to start banging on doors and and um trying to find the right people to um connect with the right people then too of how can we sustain this because um it's needed. It's needed more than I ever even imagined or dreamed it was needed. Well, 
I'll do all I can to get the word out that there that you exist and that your services are there and just how absolutely incredible they are. Something I'm going to kind of go back into what you were talking about the kids because it's a question that came up when you were talking again about the referrals. It must be very difficult if you've come upon situations where the child needs the care, they also need a a parent parental permission. And yet the, the parents involved might not see the value or support the, Mm the, the service that you provide. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how is, is there a way at all around that? That is, um, it is, uh, I've come across it. I have come across where parents won't um take the call and, and won't uh phone back and won't um and I do believe it's they've been through a lifetime of trauma uh, they're in survival mode and it is not any ill intention meant towards their kid it's they have been um received so many negative experiences in their life that to them I'm just another one of those services um that's not going to help them um in a sense um I have um I have some some parents who have been apprehensive Um, I make it easy in a sense, too, because I always try to I, I, I give a couple of opportunities of call and voicemail. I don't harass. I wait a couple of weeks then to to try one more time. I will send a text message to to say, hey, we can do it over text. And that works. That usually kind of helps break down that barrier, too. And it really helps in a sense. We are informal. We are casual. We are not a therapy service. We're not a counseling service. We want to be able to help to get you there to that ability so that you will go. And if we have to bring you, then awesome. But we're not that formality. We don't have that formality piece. And that really helps break down their barriers. We still do, unfortunately, have um, where we've we've conferenced with some uh, referring agencies where the referral agency, um, especially for a school counselor, they before they they need a lot of agencies do need the parents' permission before they can give me their contact details. Um, yeah. so there is some where the parent won't give them the permission. Um, and in that way, um, in working with the school counselor, where it's um ha- where the, the youth themselves want to meet with me and they have said they want to and they've expressed their disappointment frustration and anger with the parent who is not allowing that um in we will keep trying i'm here um and sometimes too it's if the kid can give me the parent's number and not the referring age so it's like we have other ways around it in that mm-hmm. I think you can give the kid my contact number and they can text me mom's number or mom's email or whatever if they believe it's safe to do so. I also had that conversation too. If they fear that they might get in trouble for doing that, then don't, don't um, make sure that the, with school, which I think the school counselors have a pretty good handle on whether the kid could do that or whether there'd be issues at home or what that might look like. Um, I have had, uh, in the past, I've had um, a youth who did not, like the parent wanted the youth to meet with me and the youth was like, a hell no, this ain't going to happen. And it is not going to happen at all, um, which was um, and, um, okay, which was totally okay. And I said, that's okay. And I actually respect your honesty. Like, thank you. Like, you're not, you know, you, you do not intend to waste my time knowing that you do not want this. So I appreciate your honesty. But they ended up spiraling m- m- more issues and um, they were facing 
facing charges. So when they were facing charges and they, it was coming up that they would have to speak to somebody, they said, okay, can I, now I will speak to Louise. Can you contact me? So it, it comes back around. And I think they appreciate that they're not forced. Mm-hmm. They're not, that it is the youth has to decide whether the parent wants them to or not. It is just unfortunate for those where the parent won't. Um, but the youth wants to and and then it's just once they're 16 I don't need the parental consent the youth can give their own consent but it's just when it's somebody under the age of 16 it's it's hard uh, when you know they need the support they know they need the support and it's just that the parent um, is just in survival mode and just unfortunately has that not unfortunately understandably has that preconceived judgment of me based on the the services they've received in the past and sometimes too it's where they don't have and um, they think they have to regurgitate their story again which they don't I only uh, if if all you need to do or all you were able to do is sign that consent form and say yes to me that's perfect I do not need to say anymore hear anymore or receive any more from you I get it all from the from the um kids anyway mm-hmm. uh, but just yeah sometimes it's hard um some of the parents have just been through a lot and um, themselves that um they're very much yeah, in survival mode thank you for addressing that I think I mean it's something I'm sure that our listeners will really want to know more about too because they might be a referring agency or a referring person a family member that's concerned mm-hmm. and and they then can kind of understand whether that is, you know, how that might be received. The last thing I'd like to touch on, because we're having you back, there is just, <laughs> there's so much value in what you have to offer. And I really want to niche down into some of the conversations, some tips and tools, and some of that um, value that you bring to your clients that you would mm-hmm. be able to share maybe to help others just um you know maybe a little action item some type of a supportive approach or you know that type of thing and we can bring you back in because I want to do these little bite-sized pieces too so that they can take they have a takeaway that they can then work towards or just to understand if there's even just some type of a concept so the last point I'd like to bring up is that you are looking to network and collaborate with others and build out a network of other organizations who support and know you're there you help you know all together exactly how a a collaborative network would be and Mm -hmm. do you offer any type of training or you could help facilitate or point people towards training so they would be able to um you know to maybe work with you at some Mm -hmm. point yeah, I do. I have had like some conversations where people have actually come and asked me that, like, what do I recommend? And, and that um, for me, um, I my hope is with Mount Lancer Consulting is to get to that point, too. But I think where I'm at at the moment, it is in the family unit, uh, not exactly the family unit as such, because there is an amazing organization, the Family Resource Network with McMahon Central, um, and they come into the homes. They help the family unit um, in itself. Um, I, I'm looking more at the more high risk traumas who won't go to the FRN. Um, so family, again, families who need the support, but are not going to support. And regards of the training, it is for me, um, I've definitely got wise in my ears and there's a part of me who's like, oh man, why didn't I listen to myself when I was younger? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm always like, 
learning what what is next like what do I not know what do I need to know I'm learning from my clients too um in in areas that I'm I'm not as strong in and I'm honest with them I will tell them like if I don't know anything about that or if I know little or, or whatever that is um but it is a work integrated approach it is if if for those who have asked me what kind of training could I take what what would I recommend I, it's like why what are you wanting to know more of what are you feeling you're missing um and I really for me it is um I pay a lot of attention to the types of courses um because I've like everybody we've been to courses in the past we've been to certifications where it's like oh my god is this going to end where it's not the right fit for you it's it's mm -hmm. perfect for a lot of other people in the room but just not the right fit for you and which happened for me actually in a, a couple of weeks ago I was in a, a voluntary an organization I volunteer with and it was mandatory training for two hours it wasn't long it wasn't the end of the world but it was like oh my god this is painful this is like base <laughs> level for me like I did this years ago in, in the child psychology kind of sense so um but again there was others in the room and they thought it was great because they didn't have that background they didn't have similar training like that before so it is very a personalized approach what are you looking for what area do you feel is going to resound with you more because even the last two days or a couple of weeks, I, I was taking not my wheel well at all or my area of comfortability, but it was Microsoft Azure fundamentals, right? I couldn't, I could, I actually had to leave. I couldn't stay in the course. I was, it was like, because I, I use Microsoft, I use software, I use programs for work. So I was trying like, okay, maybe if I know a bit more about it, this was going to be, this will be better for me. I lasted an hour and 45 minutes. Thank God it was Zoom, but I, I couldn't. My head was fried. I, I, I it was not what I could take in. I recognize it was too much. I was I, I actually did kind of think it was more of a foundation for beginners. But no, this was ones who have a background with kind of computers and software and things like that and databases and SAS, SAAS and IAA. Oh, it was <laughs> not for me, but I recognize this is not for me. This is I have the foundation of what I need. I'm not doing that again because it's not what I need to know more of. It's like I have enough people in my life. I can ask those questions for when I need to I would utilize them yeah <laughs> it was painful oh dear I think we've all experienced something like that but I think that's that is such valuable advice is if people feel pulled yeah to serve in a certain area and there's something that they do find that they're very passionate about that would be the type of training to start in and a field to look to work in yeah. uh you know, I mean, that sounds very cliche, but it it's but listen to yourself, like the example yeah. you just shared, really listen. And, and, and maybe you think, well, this might be it. And you'll find you're either far more in love with it, or it's just feeling wrong. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's really good. And that's part of what you're training and uh, teaching mm -hmm. the youth that you work with is to listen to themselves and those reactions. I am just blown away Louise uh again even more so after this conversation with what you have recognized and how what you've built to help and now M Mount Lancer as well with the consulting you're you know working to build uh more of a community of mm -hmm. organizations who recognize and offer very comprehensive help I love the structure that you have, the the one-on-one, -on -one, and just it's just beautiful, and that it is free. 
to these families. Mm -hmm. It's very accessible. You come to them. There's no cost that will uh, be a barrier to them accessing yeah. this. It's just yeah. incredible. And I am really excited to have you back again. Have you, I want, yeah, there's so much, <laughs> there's just so much that, that we can share to not only make people more aware that you're out there, but to give people those tools that they can start incorporating yeah. in their own family and just kind of try it out and help them when they're in a spot or even even the parents if because I've, I've talked to you about this we're going to have at least a couple different ones where we where you're speaking to the parents where mm -hmm. you're speaking to the youth and maybe saying look are the kids driving you absolutely bonkers today here's one quick thing or a couple things you could just yeah. could try that might help so you don't destroy some type of uh you know really yeah. <laughs> burn the house yeah. down around you because right? yeah. of the reaction so yeah uh, um okay all your contact information is going to be shared in the show notes and Perfect. people will be able to find you make sure that uh they can reach out to you and find you quite easily and uh again thank you for your time louise it's been fantastic. thank you very very much thank you Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information. <laughs>